0: So Deuteronomy chapter 30 and this section is headed prosperity after turning to the lord When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come upon you you take them to heart whatever the lord your god disperses whenever the lord your god disperses you among the nations and when you and your children return to the lord your god and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back He will bring you to the land that belonged to your fathers, and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I am giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your fathers, if you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. The offer of life or death. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask Who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, Who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen.
1: Folks, if you have that passage open before you, we're going to be drifting around the last few chapters of Deuteronomy today. As Philip says, we're coming to the end today of this series. I thought the way to finish would be to take you back to where we started. Uh, don't, don't worry, uh, no more trip uh, clips from spotting for those of you who, who maybe found that uh, not the kind of thing you want to be doing in church. But I do want to take you back to um, what we were thinking about that first uh, day when we did show that clip. In the opening scene of that movie, the 1996 uh, Irving Welsh movie, We have the voice of Mark Renton and he's looking at the culture that he he lives in and he describes it for us. And he puts it in these terms. Choose life, choose a job, choose a career, choose a family. Um, I've paraphrased him a wee bit here. Choose a lovely big television. Choose washing machines, cars, compact disc players and electric tin openers. Choose good health, low cholesterol, Dental insurance. Choose fixed interest mortgage repayments. Choose a starter home. Choose your friends. Choose leisure wear and matching luggage. Choose a three piece suite on hire purchase in a lovely range of fabrics. Choose DIY and wondering who on earth you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch watching mind numbing, spirit crushing game shows stuffing junk food into your mouth. Choose rotting away at the end of it all in a miserable home. Nothing more than an embarrassment to the selfish breaths you spawn to replace yourselves. Choose your future. Choose life. Whenever you look at life and you see it in the terms that Mark Renton does. Um, I don't know about you. I certainly find myself empathizing with him when he doesn't want to choose that life. If that's the life that's on offer, a boring, trivial, hollow existence, he, he's, he's not interested. Choose life, Renton continues, but why would I want to do a thing like that? I chose not to choose life. I chose something else. And the reasons? There are no reasons. Who needs reasons when you've got heroin? Renton's fed up with life. And as I've said, I, I, can, I can empathize with a person who's fed up with the life that's on offer in the culture. I don't condone the choices that he made, uh, the alternatives that he reached for. Drugs are not the only way out of a culture of death. We believe in better. We are the people of God. We've been listening these last three months to Moses' long sermon to these people of Israel, where he invites them to choose life. And we've taken a lot of pieces of a jigsaw, if you like, and we've tried to put them together. So by way of a sort of a summary statement, here's a picture of the life that God's calling us to. Choose life. Choose a better future. Choose freedom and love. Choose life for your kids. Choose gratitude and generosity. Choose to share this life with your kids. Choose to model life for others. Choose true worship, true leaders, and true community. Choose the word of life. Don't choose death. Choose life. I'm going to guess that if you've been with us these last few weeks, and, and even as you see those slides there, there's no part of you that's saying, no, that's terrible, I'm not going to do that. We're we're saying, yeah. If If that's what the invitation is, then yeah, I'd like that. Maybe if I just keep doing what I'm doing, keep staying out of the worst kinds of trouble, mixing with some nice people here and then, then I'll be okay and I'll somehow enter into something that's uh, a little bit like life. Folks, God's word tells us, and my experience confirms to me, that that's not even an option. Unless we make choices, unless we take steps, unless we choose to choose life, we don't get it. We're going to end up drifting along in the culture of death. We might feel very comfortable in it. We might be so used to it that we feel entirely at home in it. But there's no life in it. And so long as I I stay there, I miss out on the life that God offers me. In these closing chapters of Deuteronomy, Moses goes to great lengths to make sure we don't miss that. Uh, he shows us what's at stake. He, he shows us that it's not simply a case of, of doing nothing uh, and hoping to experience a decent enough life on the one hand or being a keener and choosing life and, and getting a fraction more life on the other. It, it's not a case of 49% over here and 51% over here. No, Moses paints the contrast much starker than that. He talks about blessings or curses, about life or death he, he chose to do this actually in a very memorable way which you won 't have seen yet it 's not in the passage that we read uh, he, he chose to do it through a bit of audience participation so in his sermon he tells the folks here 's what you need to do when you go into the land uh, there 's this dramatic event that I want you to to stage if you, if you flick with me to page uh, chapter twenty seven verse twelve you see the instruction there. Chapter 27, verse 12, when you've crossed the Jordan, these tribes shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, and these tribes shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse the people. Now, I read that and I thought, now that's that, that'd be good fun to act that out and to do that. So why don't we have a go at this this morning? We're going to do this. So the guys on the left-hand side here, um, and look, there's the halfway line. the the clock and and everything. Uh, um, So everybody on the left-hand side, as I'm looking, you're Mount Ebal. You're the Mount Ebal tribes, okay? It tells you there which tribes you are, but all I need you to know is that you're Mount Ebal tribes. And you're going to pronounce some curses, all right? Um, And over here, the guys on my right, you're the Mount Gerizim tribes, and you're going to speak some blessings over us. Now, the the evil stuff's interesting because uh, not only do they get to to shout out what their curses are, all the people say amen. So uh, in a moment, you're going to shout your curses, and the guys over here will join in and we'll all say amen. Um, I think this will be better if we stand. Right up, up we pop. Everybody on your feet. So here we are. The whole of Israel is gathered. The whole of the people of God, and. Um, let, let me just show you how the first one works so we don't have a car crash. It's always wick if you try something like this and it doesn't quite work. So um, the slide there shows um, the Mount Ebal congregation. The guys on the left-hand side here, they're going to say, "Cursed is anyone who makes an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of skilled hands, and sets it up in secret. And the whole congregation, Moses wants to shout, Amen. Okay. So we'll do that. We'll do a few of these. Uh, so even if the first one is awful, we'll get better as we practice. Um, okay, so let's let's get going. If we flick on the next slide, which is quite similar to that one. There it is. The actual th- words that we're going to say. So I- I'll lead you over here. The Mount Evil guys. One, two, three. Cursed is anyone who dishonors their father or their mother. And... Cursed is anyone who moves their neighbor's boundary stone. Amen. Cursed is anyone who leads the blind astray on the road. Okay, can we stop? Like, this is really feeble. We're, we're on two mountaintops. We're the whole of Israel. Can we wind back to verse 16 and then go for this properly? There we go. Okay, one, two, three. Shout it. Cursed is anyone who dishonors their father or mother. Amen. Cursed is anyone who moves their neighbor's boundary stone. Amen. Cursed is anyone who leads the blind astray on the road. Amen. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Amen. Okay. So you begin to get a bit of a feel for that. Stay on your feet a wee second. Um. There are more curses there in the text, but I, I, I was trying to work this out. I think that feels different than just reading it. You know, forming those words in your mouth, hearing the guy beside you shout them, hearing the whole community agree and say amen. It feels like doing this stuff isn't going to be good for us. And with a very visceral expression of that, it, it feels like we've, we've owned that a bit more than if we just read it. Okay, stay on your feet a second longer. We're going to head over to Team Gerizim here. Um, there aren't any, any amens in your section, so all we're going to do is read it out. Um, I'll start reading chapter 28, and once we get to verse 3, you'll see it on the screen, and you join in. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands that I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. All these blessings will come to you and accompany you if you obey the Lord. You will be blessed in the country and in the, in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord God will bless you and the land he is giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him, then all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity. In the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock will prosper. In the land he swore to your fathers to you. Folks, take a seat. The curses from Gerizim, they go on a bit as well, but as I said about the blessings, there's something about, about uh, or sorry, the, the blessings from Gerizim, as I said about the curses, there's something about. Speaking this out and doing it in community gives you a real sense of flip. This, this matters. This law has come alive. It's come off the page and it's now in our community. Obeying this law will be a really good thing. Folks, I, I want to spend the last few moments today wrapping up this whole series and it's been a bit of a, a struggle for me to how to take all of this wonderful stuff Uh, from the last uh, 13 weeks, and bring it all together. I thought I'd just actually have a, a quick look at our big theme verse. If you look with me, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Moses brings his huge, great sermon to a climax. Whenever he says, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. There's three things he does in this verse. He shows us, one, the importance of choosing life. Two, where to find life. And three, when to take the step. So first, and very quickly, we're going to be quite quick on the first and the third and spend our time on the second one. Firstly, the importance of choosing life. I've already said, this isn't about just being a wee bit more or less happy. This is about being blessed by God or cursed This is about death or life. That's how stark he puts in this. Moses seems to be saying, I don't think this is escapable. It's it's inescapable. If you live without God, you live without life. C.S. Lewis puts it like this in Mere Christianity. Once a man is separated from God, what can he do but wither? And die. Once a man is united to God, how could he not live forever? To choose life in the terms we've been talking about here is a matter of life and death. That's the first thing, the importance. I think we've talked about that today. The second thing that Moses addresses here is he shows us where to find life. And I think this is really important. I didn't want to finish this series without a chance to, to spell this out. Deuteronomy, we've noticed, especially the last few weeks, we looked a lot at laws that God had given his people. And I just want to be clear about where the life is found. Look again at verse 19. Moses says, Now choose life so that you and your children may live, that you may love the Lord your God." Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. That's the bit that I want to focus on for a moment as we close. To choose life isn't to follow a bunch of rules. If you took that away from this book, you'd have missed the whole point of Deuteronomy. It's not to choose a lifestyle. It's to choose the Lord. It's to make him our be-all and end-all, our first and our last, our everything. Is he that yet for you? Is he your life? Or are you still mucking about with God, dabbling with the divine? Are you still trying to fit God into your life? I sometimes hear people use that language. I kind of know what they mean, but we're not fitting God into our lives. He is, He's the immovable center. All we're trying to do is draw our lives into His, build our lives on Him. Is the Lord your life? If not, then the kind of stuff that we've talked about these last weeks, even even if it was momentarily inspiring, it, it, it's not going to become part of who you are. Calvin puts it like this. Until men feel that they owe everything to God, that they're cherished by his paternal care, that he's the author of all their blessings so that naught is to be looked for away from him, they'll never submit to him in voluntary obedience nay, unless they place their entire happiness in him. They'll never yield up their whole selves to him in truth and sincerity. Have you placed your entire happiness in him? Is he your life? That's what it is to choose life. That's where we find it. We're struggling to do that, aren't we? And all who've gone before us have struggled too. There's an interesting thing. You wouldn't see it unless you'd read the whole of these last chapters in Deuteronomy. Moses, on the one hand, preaches this incredible, inspiring, motivating stuff, and on the other hand, he knows it's not going to work. Flick, flick with me for a second. Chapter 31. Run your eye over that last paragraph. Look at verse 27. Moses has just preached this. He said, choose life, choose it now. And, and what does he say? He, he looks into the future and he says, I know how rebellious and stiff-necked you are. If you've been rebellious against the Lord while I'm still alive and with you, how much more are you going to rebel when I die? Moses knows that these people aren't going to choose life. His 30 whatever chapters, his lifetime of preaching, he knows it's falling on deaf ears. These people won't, for the most part, live under God's blessing. And there are times when they'll really experience God's curse. We're not very different, are we? We still don't find it easy to choose life. We still choose death over and over and over again. We need to be rescued. In terms that we used here on Friday night at our uh, carol service, we need help from heaven and I think it's just lovely today to be finishing Deuteronomy deep in the Advent season and I can almost reach out and touch you know today is one day but in a few days time we're going to celebrate that that one day in the year when we think of how our rescuer came we're spiritually bankrupt but but the, the rescuer is coming do you remember what the angel said to To Joseph, before the baby was born, he said, this kid who's coming, call him Jesus. It means God saves. Because that's why he's coming. That's that's why he's coming. To save us from our sins. Moses didn't keep the way of life that he'd been talking about. Israel didn't keep the way of life that Moses invited them to. We're the same. We all need a rescuer. We need someone who can come and reverse the curse, can bring us from from the place of curse to the place of blessing, from the place of death to the place of life. And we're thinking, well, Yeah, somehow I understand that, and I've maybe heard that before. I know that Jesus somehow does this, but how? How does he do it? Where do we find the life? Let me show you the greatest thing that I know. The one thing that makes sense of this whole Deuteronomy series, this desire that's growing in me to choose life. Turn with me, New Testament, Colossians 3 verses 1 to 4. Moses was preaching to people centuries before Jesus was ever born. Paul's addressing people now, a couple of decades after Jesus' death and resurrection, people who have become followers of Jesus in modern-day Turkey, Colossae. And he says, "...since then you've been raised with Christ." Set your hearts and things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds and things above, not earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll appear with him. See what Paul's doing here? Moses told the Israelites that the Lord was their life. And Paul tells followers of Jesus Christ, Christians, that Jesus Christ is our life. To choose life is to choose God, is to choose Jesus Christ. And and how does that help us? Getting a bit of an insight here. How does this help us to stop? Choosing death. Well, look at the passage. That part of us is dead, Paul says, if we're in Christ. He says, We've died and we've been raised. Past tense. Now, wait a minute, Paul. We've died, we've been raised. Surely you're confusing our story with the story of Jesus. Yes, he he died and was raised, but, but we're we're here. In in what regard have we died and been raised? Paul knows what he's talking about. Don't worry. He's not lost it. He brings our story into the story of Jesus Christ. He brings our life into the life of Jesus. Look at verse 3. He says, Your life is hidden now with Christ in God. I don't know if you know this. This is the heart of the Christian faith. This is why we won't ever stop preaching the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came so that I and you could be in God. You see, the New Testament writers would, would use this language to talk about a person being in Christ. And what they mean is that particularly in that moment when Jesus Christ died on the cross, everything that was actually true of him became legally true of me. What's actually true of us became legally true of him. We're sinful. Okay, I'm sinful. He takes my sin. I deserve punishment. It falls on him. The punishment leads to death. He dies in my place. Everything that's true of me becomes true of him. But it's not just the case that way. Everything that's true of him becomes true of me. He's perfect and beautiful and when the father looks at him, his heart bursts with love. And now that's me. Jesus has power over sin. And if I'm in him, he, he's going to help me to overcome the sin that's in me. Jesus rose from the dead. And now I've become an entirely new thing. Something that's going to live forever. Forever. choose life in him in Jesus Christ that's the only place there's ever and will ever be life folks we choose to choose life by responding to God's gift in Jesus by dying to our old life and the curse and starting a new life with blessing it's when we do that and to the extent that we do that that we start to experience the, the life that God's made us for I'm nearly finished but I want to I want to talk about our real lives just for a second in case that seems up there and it's not I don't want us to miss this let's stop choosing death will we? and start choosing life Where am I still choosing death? This is what I've got to work out. We choose death anywhere where we take something other than Jesus Christ and try to make it our life or allow it to become our life. Here's an easy way to see where where I'm choosing death. I ask myself a diagnostic question. What thing, if somebody took it away from me or if I couldn't have it, I'd, I'd feel miserable. I'd feel like life is no longer worth living we all have those things and they're not the same for each of us we're all different that's a big question you need to take that home don't have enough time here today to take take that home with you what what thing if you took it from me would I feel like you'd taken my life and what we need to learn to do is when those things rear their head, and particularly the frustration, anger, and despondency that comes with them when we don't have them, when that anger, despondency, and fear raises its head, we need to look that thing in the eye and say, you are not my life. Jesus Christ is my life, and my life is hidden with him in God. Sometimes we'll have to start doing that before we even really mean it. That's all right. I've tried to think about this. Calvin's invitation to place my happiness in him in the Lord. I've tried to work out, you know, what are the things in life that I enjoy? What are the things that are in danger of taking my life away from me because they want to become my life? I sort of reigns back over my life a bit. Whenever I was a teenager, I was obsessed with music. I loved music. Really spoke to me. Got really into it, and you know, if if I could listen to music, I'd be happy. And if I, I couldn't, uh, it would make me grumpy. It seems trivial, but it was it was a big deal emotionally. I was quite invested in, in just enjoying music. It's not my life. I love I love cycling. Love cycling my bike. I'm very fortunate to be able to have cycled in some beautiful places, down around the Moors, uh, up in the Alps when I'm on holidays something very beautiful about that blend of exercise and, and beautiful scenery but it's not my life I mean riding a bike isn't enough for me to base my life on our wee cottage in the mornings uh, that we maybe mentioned a couple of times I love going there it's a, a real treat my, my favourite part is when I, uh, I get to get out my saws and my axes and cut and split wood and then dry it out and burn it. I just love that. Don't know why. But, you know, it's just a gift, isn't it? From the Lord. I love Claire very much. But she's not my life. As soon as I make Claire my life, I put a burden on her that that she was never meant to bear. As soon as anybody in a marriage does that to the other, you put a strain on your marriage that, that many marriages don't survive. Our spouses aren't our lives. I love my work here, and I love Kirkpatrick Memorial. I, I, I say this when I'm not here with you, I say it to other people. I think this is a very, very special community. It really is. But it's not my life. When we start to make a church family into our life, when we imagine that if I join these people and if I'm with them, it's all going to be good. I've found what I've been looking for all my life. I promise you disappointment. Disappointment. And possibly worse, depending on on how invested you've been in that community. You see, we're not meant to be the focus for each other. This isn't supposed to be your life. The people who flourish in churches are the people who understand that Christ is our life. And what we do to together here is to gather around him. We point each other to him. We encourage each other in our walk with him. But it's not about us or, or what we're creating. It's about him. Christ, our life. Sorry, that's taken a few minutes longer today. Forgive me. I hope I've landed this somewhere that makes sense of Deuteronomy, but also of of life and of the gospel. To choose life is to choose Jesus Christ and to let him become our life. Have you done that? Like that's the standout headline question, isn't it? By the way, I can't offer you life by leading a good community here and preaching good sermons. That doesn't work. That, that maybe feels nice on a Sunday, but that's not the same thing as you choosing life. You've got to do that. We've dealt with two of our three questions. If I told you I was dealing with a third, it would break your heart because you'd think, how much longer is he going to go on for? 20 seconds. the importance of choosing life, where to find it, we find it only in Jesus. When to choose it. Moses plays a blinder in this short verse. It's all there. Now, choose life. Don't put this off. Whatever conversation the Holy Spirit's having with you just now, Don't be distracted from it. Take it away with you. Keep it alive. And come and enter into the new life that Jesus came to bring. Let's pray. Lord, this, this word of yours, these things you tell us, they're almost the opposite of what we always imagined. We imagined that you somehow wanted to limit us and restrict us and you wanted us to give up the life that we wanted to live the life that you wanted for us. And then we read your word and we discover that your greatest passion for us is that we live bigger More beautiful, more joy filled lives. Lord, it seems like the only thing that would hold us back is that we couldn't quite believe it. That we felt your offer of life in Jesus is too good to be true. Lord, help us this Christmas to see that it's true, that the offer's real that there's life here and it's for us. Help us each one to, to receive it. Amen.